Friends, listen as God speaks to us from his word this morning. From Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I've had so much fun this week, <laughs> going around and visiting people. I, I did sort of forget how long it takes to get from point A to point B, though. And um, so I've used a lot more gas in the last week than I probably do in a month uh, back where everything is a little bit closer. But it is so much fun just to drive around and the beauty of the cornfields and the soybean fields and just being able to look out over vast distances. Uh, it's just beautiful. What a beautiful part of the country uh, this is. So much fun. Uh, to be here. It really does feel like coming home. Um, I also took some time this past week to read through uh, the, the last two annual reports, just to see the, the nature of things, and really a lot of encouraging things to see in those reports. However, there was one comment in the Building and Grounds report that got my attention. I'm going to quote from it. It says, we sprayed weeds in parking lot cracks several times over the season. We usually only have to do this once a year, but due to the reduced traffic on the parking lot because of COVID, the weeds grew fast and often. So, to help our building and grounds people, I was wondering whether it wouldn't be a good idea on Sundays for as many of you as possible just to do several laps (laughs) around the parking lot, aim for the weeds, (laughs) and save your building and grounds people that additional work. After all, we want Kishwaukee to be a welcoming and friendly place. Because, do you know that about 80% of people that will ever join a church do so because a friend invited them to come? Now, if you look back over your own history of joining churches, chances are it was someone you considered a friend who invited you or brought you into the life of the church. And that's just true across the board. 80% of anybody that will ever join a church most likely will do it because a friend (laughs) invited them to come. This is borne out by statistics. In a a study of 100 people who joined a church, 50 of whom remained active after six months, and 50 who in that same six-month period dropped out, revealed the following results. So... Those that were still active in six months, only five of them had fewer than five friends. Forty-five of them 
had six friends or more in the congregation who when they came in on a Sunday morning, they knew their names, they knew their families, they knew something of their story. But look at the other. Those that had dropped out, 49 out of the 50 had fewer than five friends. 35 of those 49 had fewer than two friends that they could name in the congregation as people that knew them and that they knew. Only one had six or more. The importance of friendship. And that's why the truth that we see in Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus this morning is so important. Jesus wants to be your friend. Now, some of you are saying, and he has a PhD in theology, and that's the best he could get out of this text? And I thought about that. I said, oh, golly, that just seems so simple. Until I asked myself this question. Would I rather own a luxury sports car, live in a great house, have a really well-paying job, or have just one real friend who I knew would stick by me no matter what? And then I realized that's how important having Jesus as a friend who will never leave me, never desert me, never say, I'm done with you. What you just did has put you beyond the possibility to have one friend like Jesus who will never say that, but will always be a friend. In Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, we see Jesus becoming Zacchaeus' friend. The friend, in fact, who would save him for all eternity. So as we look at the text this morning, let's look first at what we learn about Zacchaeus. And the first thing, of course, is that he was a little guy. He was short. And uh, we know in lots of studies, short people apparently try to overcompensate. You know, some people like Napoleon and others who were, who were short. Maybe Zacchaeus had some of that. But no doubt it was a fact of his life that he lived with day in and day out. So much so that when he wanted to see Jesus, he wasn't tall enough to see over the heads of the crowd. So he had to climb up into a tree, as, as we all know. But the second thing we know is that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in Jericho. Now remember, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was also a tax collector, but Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And in the New Testament, uh, tax collectors... That, that, that their title was often combined with and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. They were looked down upon by everybody. So much so that if you were a tax collector, you were not allowed to give money to the temple if you had collected it through taxes. That's how much people despised the tax collectors. They were rich in part because they cheated the people. They were thought of as being robbers all the time. Only they could do it legally. And you can imagine the resentment that grew up among people and the immediate response they would have to somebody if they discovered that that person was a, a tax collector. Now, the people in those days paid a lot of taxes. They paid a water tax, a city tax, a tax on meat and salt, a road tax, a house tax. And if they were traveling at every place along the road where they stopped, they had to pay another tax. So we think we're heavily taxed, but they were too. Further, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho. And Jericho, under Herod, had become the site of his winter palace. 
And you can imagine how much tax money it took to build a winter palace. And Zacchaeus was the chief of the tax collectors. But now the most important thing we learn in our text this morning about Zacchaeus is that he wanted to see Jesus. Did you notice what Luke wrote? He was seeking, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Now think about that for a moment. Zacchaeus may have been one of the richest men in Jericho. And remember in those days, men rarely ran in public. Rich men, almost never. And remember in the parable of the prodigal son, where the father ran to greet the returning prodigal? That's one of the most unusual parts of that story. Grown men did not do that. The son should have been running to him. But no, the father ran to the son. Zacchaeus ran on ahead to climb up a tree. Now, if you were watching Zacchaeus, you would have said, what on earth is Zacchaeus doing? What's the deal? I've never seen him run before. What's he doing? Apparently, Zacchaeus didn't care what anybody thought because he wanted to see Jesus. Now, why was that? Had he heard stories about Jesus? Did he know blind Bartimaeus who had just been healed as Jesus was on his way into uh, Jericho? What I like to think is that Zacchaeus was actually a friend of Matthew, already a disciple of Jesus. If you had no friends outside of your profession, chances are you knew the others who were tax collectors. So my guess is that it was Matthew who had alerted Zacchaeus to Jesus and Jesus to Zacchaeus. Whatever the reason, Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus, which caused him to forget himself and what others might think about him, causes you and me to ask ourselves this question. Just how much do I want to see Jesus? C.S. Lewis once asked this question. He said, I wonder whether the cause of much weak faith is the silent desire that our faith not be very strong, a fear, after all, of what it might cost. But remember, Jesus wants to be your friend. Is there a cost too great for what you would do to help a friend or for a friend to help you? I used to refer to Joni when I was talking to her. I'd say, you know, I had a friend who, and then she would stop me and say, what? I've never heard of this person. When was the last time you talked to them? And I'd say, okay, someone I once knew. (laughs) But you know, when, when Colin died, four of my friends got on airplanes and flew to Chicago and got the bus out to Stillman Valley to be with us. And I remember the day we were all sitting in our dining room, sitting around the table. And it was the first time that laughter was heard in our house after Colin's death. Those friends were willing to do whatever it took to be with me and my family during that time. And haven't you had experiences like that too? Where a friend showed up when you really needed them. And you showed up for them when they really needed you. That's what happens when we spend time with Jesus, 
when we want to really see him as he really is. So let's look now at what we learn about Jesus in this passage. And the first thing is, of course, that Jesus looked up. It's a small detail, but significant. Remember, Jesus is surrounded by this huge crowd of people. Why would he stop and look up at that particular tree? Well, one, it was unusual to see a man up in a tree. Kids maybe, but not a man. But again, I think Matthew had already alerted Jesus to the fact there's this little guy, and I think you need to meet him. I think he's ready. I think there's something going on in his life that will make him want to know you. Second thing, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must come to your house today. And the word there for must is the word, it's necessary. I have to come to your house today. Now, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus did, in fact, hurry down. But why did Jesus have to go to Zacchaeus' house? I think it's clear from the text that Jesus was just as excited to meet Zacchaeus and hear his story as Zacchaeus was to meet Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus wants to know you and your story, the good days, the bad days, the whole parts, the broken parts? Ever occurred to you that Jesus wants to know your story just as much as you want him to know you? Maybe you don't feel particularly qualified or worthy of Jesus. Forget it. That never occurs to Jesus to say something like that about you and me. He wants to know you and your story. Now you're saying to yourself, yeah, but he's God, he knows it already. That's fine. But he still wants to know your story as you would say it. And he will. And he does. I think it was because Jesus knew Zacchaeus was just inches away from experiencing salvation that he was so anxious to spend time in Zacchaeus' home, which was a privilege in those days. Remember, you only invited those that were really your dear friends to come and eat with you. Well, Jesus actually invited himself into uh, Zacchaeus' home to enjoy that time together. But I think Jesus knew. He knew the heart. He could see it. He had listened to Matthew, I think. And so he wanted to go after Zacchaeus. But now, notice what happens next in the text. The crowds grumble, but Jesus says nothing. Isn't that interesting? Jesus does not rush to Zacchaeus' defense at that particular moment. How on earth the crowds were saying to each other, could Jesus not know who Zacchaeus was and what he did for a living? How could he not know that Zacchaeus was despised by every good Jew? Jesus heard what they're saying heard what they were saying, but he didn't say a word. Instead, he let Zacchaeus answer. And look what Zacchaeus says. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now again, remember, Zacchaeus was likely rich, and here he's giving half of his wealth to the poor. And the verb's in the present tense. Not when I die, I'll give half my uh, estate to the poor. I'm going to do it right now. He's giving it to the poor with no strings attached. Now remember, in those days, there was no social safety net. I'm reminded of, of my own father. 
His father died in 1928 in a small town in northern Ontario. His mom was not in good health. In fact, when my dad was eight years old, right after his father died, they went back to Ireland to be with family. Eventually, however, several of the uncles had moved to Canada, to Toronto, and my father and his mom came back to Toronto. And, and the three uncles boarded with my grandmother and my dad. Because the poor had no other way in those days of supporting themselves if family didn't surround them. Now, I remember I was, I was stunned when I heard my dad say one time, I was raised by a single mom. And that was true. But when my dad was 13 years old, he, he told me that he would come home from school every day not knowing if his mom was going to be alive or dead. She'd had rheumatic fever as a girl and had a very bad heart. She lived till he was 22, died right before he finished seminary. But if those uncles had not been there, my grandmother would have had a very hard time making it. But because they were there, they supported him. My uncles paid for my dad's hockey equipment so that he could play hockey growing up there in Toronto. Funny thing, my grandmother let him play ice hockey, but she wouldn't let him ride a bicycle because she thought it was too dangerous. And I asked my dad one time, well, why was that? He said, well, he smiled and he said, she never came to watch me play. <laughs> Zacchaeus gave half his wealth to those poor in Jericho who would have been a lot like my grandmother in order that she could live and survive and so that the poor in Jericho could do the same thing. But notice what else Zacchaeus says. If I have cheated anyone... I will repay them fourfold. Now, friends, that would be a reckless promise if Zacchaeus had actually cheated people. He had already given away half of his estate, right? And if he had to pay four times to the people that he had supposedly cheated, he'd have been bankrupted. Which inclines me to think that Zacchaeus had probably never cheated anyone. That Zacchaeus might have been one of those rare tax collectors who only took what he needed to to pay the Romans and a little bit more so that he could live. But the assumptions of the people were, well, just because he's a tax collector, he must be a cheat. But I doubt it. I believe that Zacchaeus was very likely an honest tax collector. A rarity to be sure, but an honest tax collector. And now Jesus speaks finally. Having seen what Zacchaeus did, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now perhaps you're asking yourself, but wait, Zacchaeus didn't pray the sinner's prayer here or come down the aisle and accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Not only that, but Jesus says salvation has come to Zacchaeus' entire household, not just to him as an individual. So what is Jesus saying here? <clears throat> I think he's clearly saying, say what you like about your belief. But belief is real when it drives your decisions. When it causes you to act in ways that are faithful and obedient to God's word. Now it was a responsibility of the Jews to help the poor. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus did. 
Jesus saw that and he said, here's a little man with a big faith. Because he was willing to do, not just say, but to do that which a Christian who knows Jesus will do. So what do we learn about Jesus here? Well, because I believe it was Matthew who probably told Jesus all about Zacchaeus and and prepared the way, that Matthew is the one who had been talking to Jesus about his friend. I want to suggest to you this morning that the right question to ask now is this. Who are you talking to Jesus about who needs to know him as Savior and Lord? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that a Christian will talk to Jesus more about a friend than to a friend about Jesus. Now think about that. Who are the people that you're talking to Jesus about regularly, often, saying, Jesus, this is my brother, my sister, this is an aunt, an uncle, a cousin. Maybe it's one of your children. And you're saying, Lord, they need you. Help me to say the right thing or do the right thing or bring someone into their life who will be an example of a friend in the name of Jesus that will draw them to you. Remember, more people will come to Jesus because of a friend telling them than by any other means. So who are you praying for? today? Are you the Matthew to Zacchaeus that you know? Finally, what might we learn about ourselves in this text? Well, Jesus wants us to make the right comparison. Are you going to be like the crowds who grumble based on an assumption that they've made about Zacchaeus? Or should we be more like Zacchaeus? who is willing to act on this faith that he has come to in Jesus. And secondly, who do you think Jesus wants us to imitate? The crowds or Zacchaeus? Again, remember, discipleship happens as we imitate those who are ahead of us in the faith. Zacchaeus had just leapfrogged a bunch of people in the faith by his actions. And so I think Jesus wants us to imitate Zacchaeus. And that's why the parable follows. It's a parable that you know really well. It's the parable of the talents, where uh, the owner of the estate leaves and he, he gives money to several of his servants and he tells them to invest it to increase the kingdom, his, his estate. One comes back and he's increased, what is it, ten times what the master gave him. A second comes and he's increased five times what the master gave him. But then you remember the unfaithful servant? He didn't lose the Lord's money. He still had his position in the estate, but he had buried the talent, saying, I know you're a hard master and so I didn't want to lose any of your money, so here it is. It's often been said that we're never to bury our talents except for that one talent of criticism. That one we can bury and leave it underground. That's okay. 
having seen what happened with Zacchaeus, Jesus tells that parable. And I think what he's saying to us is, are you going to be like Zacchaeus? Are you going to be someone that takes what I have given and share it? Joyfully, generously, almost, one could say, recklessly. Jesus wants to be your friend. But he also wants to be the friend of your friends. And there is no greater privilege that you will ever have than to introduce a friend to Jesus. Now some of you, hopefully all of you, have had that experience at some point in your life of introducing a friend to Jesus. Remember this week that God very likely is going to bring you into contact with someone who doesn't yet know him. And I'm not telling you to go and share the four spiritual laws with them. What I am saying is, how can you become a better and better friend to someone who's already your friend. And then pray and ask God to give me the opportunity to somehow draw them into a new life with him. Because remember, he wants to do that even more than you do. And that is the good and precious and generous good news of the gospel for you and for me today. Amen? I know from last week that it's my job to do the pastoral prayer. I haven't forgotten. I know that we have some causes for great joy today with a couple of anniversaries, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But we'll also have cause to mourn with those who mourn. And so as we come to prayer this morning, let us keep in mind that there are many here who are, who are rejoicing, who are happy. It's been a good week, but there are others for whom it hasn't. Their concerns remain perhaps personal and silent to themselves, but we can remember them, and you'll know some of them as we pray. Keep those folks in mind. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that you are the God who desires to be our friend in the deepest, most meaningful possible way of understanding that word. And we thank you, Lord, that you've done everything necessary to be that friend to us in order that we can be that kind of friend to others. For those that are rejoicing this morning, Father, we do rejoice. And we are glad. And we know that people who have been married over 50 years went through struggles, and it wasn't always easy. But they were faithful, you were faithful. And we give you thanks for that faithfulness, that example of godly faithfulness. But we know, Lord, too, that there are others who have struggled. Maybe it's been a difficult week at work, difficult week with the family, difficult week in a marriage, or like the Brooks family, a, a terrible loss. And we mourn with those who are mourning this morning and seek to come 
around them and circle them with our care and our concern and our love. Father, we are so grateful that you are the God who knows us inside and out. That there's nothing that we've done this past week that you didn't see. And maybe it has brought shame and, and, and concern to our hearts, but you want to say to us right now, it's okay. You're still my child. Still, I love you. And I'm so glad you're here. Let us become that same kind of people too who will be friends to those that struggle to believe that anyone could care about that. For this we ask in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.